Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Varian Podcast Works for another episode of our flagship show. My name is Tom Adams, and I am joined today by my partner in crime. We haven't been together for a few weeks, but I know it's uh, an infamous duo that a lot of you guys like. I am joined by BPW and BFW's own I Need No Name. So, In, how are you doing on this fine Sunday? I know it's pretty much almost Monday where you are. Yeah, uh, it's not that close to Monday, but it doesn't really matter to me because I've been spending my entire day playing Elden Ring. I just got it after my exams, and that's basically what I've been doing, other than the fact that I took about three hours off to watch Bayern Munich yesterday, and I kind of regret that, given how that game turned out. Yeah, I've kind of noticed a pattern. It's like every time you sign up for the post-match pod, it seems as if Bayern just completely perform in an underwhelming fashion, or... You know, they have an absolute crap result, but I don't know if I'm just reading into it too much there, if it's just uh, bad luck on your part, <laughs> but uh, I feel be, bad. Be the new I, feel, <laughs> I feel bad that you often have to get these uh, matches where either it's like against Leverkusen, where I think everybody who watched that game knows and feels that we should have won. And Muller's own goal pretty much invited. Leverkusen. Uh, I, uh, I watched it and I honestly think we should have lost. Fair, fair. Um, r- regardless. You know, it's in the full context of, you know, we're coming into a very, very important second leg in the Champions League against RB Salzburg. We wanted all the momentum and all the confidence we could get. And, you know, and I think we need to talk about this because I think a lot of people would have anticipated when the draw for the round of 16 was made that we would handedly get past RB Salzburg over two legs. But we're in a position right now where we're level on aggregate 1-1 away goals don't mean anything anymore. Uh, with the Champions League and Europa League deciding to change that rule. But we've had some some pretty bad slip-ups in recent times. And, you know, a lot of Bayern Munich fans are not really, you know, going into this second leg with the the greatest confidence in the world. And, you know, and I just want to get your thoughts. I mean, how are you feeling going into this second leg? Well, I guess if anyone's listened to the post-game show I did for Leverkusen, then they'd know that I am honestly expecting us to lose to Salzburg. I don't think we will win. It doesn't look good for us, okay? And I have these feelings from time to time. I had this feeling before Gladbach, we were going to lose, and now I'm having that feeling again. Something bad is coming, and I I, want to be wrong because losing at this stage of the Champions League would be absolutely devastating for us. And I really want to be wrong, but I do feel like that loss is coming. Like everything that we've had this season, we've just been trending downwards and downwards and downwards. Like at the beginning, everything was amazing. We started at a really high, high level of play and everything since then is just going down and it has accelerated since the winter break. Yeah, and I would even add to that in that it seems like the beginning phases of the Rukrunda, we got through our uh, big COVID outbreak, um, which was also coped with uh, a lot of injuries that we had. I would say that we got through that relatively well, bar slipping up to uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, who are just always our bogey team anyways. But yeah, recently, uh, if you just look at the form of the two teams coming into the second leg, RB Salzburg had a COVID outbreak of their own. I believe it was uh, between players and staff members, about 15 cases uh, which they've just recently gotten over the majority of. And, you know, they've they've been in good form. A, a lot of wins coming into that first leg against Bayern, and I believe they've won two matches and have only um, drawn once when it was at the height of their, you know, COVID outbreak. Uh, but in even even with our overall record, I mean, we had that slip up against Valafel Bochum. We had a terrible first half against uh, Greuther Firth. And, you know, Saturday, 
we looked good for like the opening 30 minutes against Bayer Leverkusen, but then Muller's own goal happened. And it's almost just like we said, hey, Leverkusen, come right back into this game. We're going to invite you right back in. And the complexion just seemed to completely change. And there's been so much talk about Julian Nagelsmann and the different formations that he likes to use. We all know at this point that he's very, very uh, savvy and very much uh, a f- fond of using the back three system. But you know, sometimes it just doesn't work. And even as we saw on Saturday, even if we switched to a back four from the get-go, still didn't look all that comfortable. Obviously, we didn't have Luca Hernandez, which I do think was a big miss because of his yellow card suspension. But but in, do you think tactically there's, uh, you know, switches that Nagelsmann could make that would give you some more confidence? Like had we shown something different in either the Leverkusen match or perhaps against Reuter Firth or perhaps against Eintracht Frankfurt, is there anything that you think Nagelsmann might have made a tactical tweak that would have given you some more confidence or perhaps is it Sven Ulreich in goal giving the defense more nervousness if that's the right word since they don't have Manuel Neuer playing behind them what do you think if you had to dissect just exactly what it is what do you think it is and what would give you more confidence the thing is that um, Leverkusen is a little bit different from all our other games because in my opinion Nagelsmann in the beginning of the game, he got the tactics right because we were in control for 35 minutes. All we had to do right. was just play 10 more minutes of decent football and we would have gotten through that half with no issues whatsoever, completely dominant, maybe even gotten another goal or two. But instead, the team fell apart. And I think this is just one of those things that we really need to be careful about because Nagelsmann has had a lot of problems this season, tactics, injuries, depth, all of that. But this is a new problem. It is the mentality. And if you think about us on the flick last season, there was an issue where in pretty much every game, we were going 1-0 down, 2-0 down almost immediately. And then we had to fight our way back. But more often than not, pretty much all the time on the flick, we did manage to do those comebacks. It was like we had something like an almost three-month stretch where every single game was a comeback win. And that, obviously, it doesn't say anything good about our defense, but it did say something great about our mentality in those days. Compare that to Nagelsmann right now. You look at the Gladbach game. We were starting very brightly and Lewandowski scored. We were 1-0 up. When Bayern Munich goes 1-0 up, we should be expecting ourselves to win the game. Same thing goes here. We went 1-0 up playing really good football. And then suddenly they the opposition scores and suddenly the entire team falls apart. It looks like we have completely given up. Like you think about that game, that Gladbach game where we went 5-0 down. It was like when the first goal went in. Okay, under Flick, we used to be like, first goal's gone in. Okay, fine, we'll just recover. Whereas here, when the first goal has gone in under Nagelsmann this season, it always feels like the team is just on the verge of collapsing. And then suddenly, we concede two, three, four more goals. That's what happened against Baham, if you remember. Suddenly, we, we scored first. Lewandowski scored first. And then suddenly, they got an equalizer. And then we just fell apart and it just kept going. So that's something new in my opinion like we've been watching Bayern for a long time and honestly I don't remember Bayern ever being like this even under Carlo Ancelotti or Liko Kovac because we've never needed to be like this and mentality is a very tricky thing you know it's hard to fix it's hard to know why it is going wrong and if against Salzburg on Tuesday they score first 
I think that's it for us. I think we are going to collapse like a deck of cards. I mean, sorry, a house of cards, not a deck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything that you just mentioned, you know, the worrying signs are there. And I think against the first leg, Salzburg really showed just, again, how vulnerable Bayern is on the counterattack, especially if we're playing that back three system or even the back four with our two center backs pushed very, very high up. You know, the more possession that Bayern has, it's oftentimes against those deep blocks where the uh, the issue is forced, where the center backs have to push up. And, you know, I'm really trying to run through in my mind if, because I just think of all the 1v1 situations and aerial duels or balls uh, played through, you know, the splitting the lines and it's a 1v1 Upamakano versus somebody else. I wonder if this is going to be a situation where Nagelsmann is going to say, I don't want any of those risks and I'm going to start Niklas Zula and Luca Hernandez uh, as the center backs because he doesn't, you know, Upamakano still is not showing that he has that uh, that firmness and that uh, comfortability in those 1v1 situations. It's actually situations. getting worse, so... Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, I think as we saw, Adiemi, and then who was it in refreshment? It was Okafor? Uh, was he the guy who came on and scored for Salzburg in the first leg? Uh, I think so, did somebody got hurt. Come on and score. Um, okay, so... I thought it was... This is a little yeah, bit embarrassing was, uh, because so. I did the post-game podcast for Salzburg, but I have genuinely erased that game from my memory. What I, think, I do I remember... Was, I think he came on and scored because somebody had gotten hurt. Yeah. Yeah, um, and also Salzburg were missing their main striker for that game, so which is also what Leverkusen were missing. They were missing Patrick Schick. So exactly, some of these, yeah. while some of these results recently have been bad, they could have been worse. We got lucky. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so um, I was just gonna say to finish that thought, like yeah. how many times in that first leg, whether it was through Adiemi or someone else, did they look electric and exciting on the counterattack? And we we let that we let it be that way. You know, giving away uh, possession cheaply in midfield or, you know, uh, not tracking back or just making the wrong decision out of the back. You know, Nicolas Sula, he's one player. He likes to play those line splitting passes. But if it's not him or if it's somebody else or if the pass doesn't come off immediately, it's a 3v2 or a 3v1 or a 4v3. And it seems like in those situations lately, Bayern is just like not able to handle those situations. Whereas, as you said, you know, maybe perhaps under Hansi Flick or one or two seasons ago, we might have been a little bit better off. In well, those situations, the thing is that the defense is bad. I I can't say anything about that, and I've been I've basically been saying that the defense is a lot worse than it looks for a long time now. Like you remember, like uh two three months ago, our defense looked really sorry, not two three months ago, more like five or six months ago, uh, our mm-hmm. defense looked like really amazing, and people were saying, "Wow, Nagelsmann has fixed every flaw that was in Flick's system." And I said, nah, it just it's just not that good. It's just that the teams are not capitalizing and now they're capitalizing. But the defense, the defense, even if we do badly, it looks like we can still keep the score lines down, like just through basic loss, just defending, which something like Pavard. Pavard has been good at that lately. And Ulreich, he has been pulling his weight, in my opinion. Like you look at Frankfurt, Frankfurt had chances. They had chances, but we kept them out and we got a clean sheet. So it's not like the defense is completely and utterly hopeless. I mean, it is by any decent standard, but it is good enough for us to go through against Salzburg. In my opinion, what is more worrying from a tactical perspective is the fact that our attack is starting to stagnate. And you, I'll just bring this up right now. Thomas Muller has not assisted a goal in almost three weeks, I think. And Robert Lewandowski, in our last four games, he has scored in only against Reuter Firth. Other than that, he yeah. has been com- a complete blank, not even an assist. 
in three or four games. I don't even know. In fact, I actually do know against under Flick last season, the entirety of last season, he went only five games without scoring or assisting in the entirety of last season. And this season under Nagelsmann, we are only 70 or 65% of the way through the entire season. And he's already had eight shutout games. So there are problems brewing with our offense, which I think has been papered over by the fact that we have a lot of individual quality in our offensive lineup. But now it's looking like we might go to Salzburg. I mean, sorry, Salzburg might come to us and we may struggle to score against them. I mean, it was already so much of a struggle in the first leg, if you remember. So I am most worried about our offense. Yeah, it's a lot of people have been making the comment, you know, Nagelsmann's so-called all-out attacking lineup. It just seems that uh, I think it was on an article I was reading from ours uh, in the comment section after yesterday at the time of recording, obviously the 1-1 Leverkusen draw, where it just seems like with this lineup, you know, uh, where he plays so many attackers at once that the offensive third just gets too crowded out. And oftentimes, you know, Lewandowski is right on top of someone or vice versa. And, you know, it just seems like it's uh, perhaps a overcomplicating things, it might be a little bit of Nagelsmann using what he has, because if your strong point is attack and that's where you think, you know, you're going to get more productivity uh, and consistency versus the midfielder defense. Obviously, in midfield, we don't have Goretzka. Tolisso is now hurt. So Nagelsmann isn't exactly spoiled for choice in the center of the park for someone to partner alongside Joshua Kimmich. I personally think Musiala is far better as a, as a 10 uh, or a winger as attacking midfielder than he is alongside Kimmich. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. And just like Leroy Sané, depending on depending on Honestly, the day, I know he didn't start against Le- a Leverkusen, but all those guys starting at once, Muller, Gnabry, Sané, uh, Lewandowski, Coman. There's been matches where all of those guys start at the same time. And it's yeah, like, so it seems like there's too many. The thing is that there are too many attackers and we know that. But the thing is that if I were in Nagelsmann's shoes right now, you know what I'd do? I'd move Maziala to the wing and I'd move him to the left wing. I'd do something like I would bench both Canabri and Sané. And I think something's going on with Sané behind the scenes because Sané, he has spent two games in a row yeah, two, two matches on the bench. The bench right? yeah. yeah. And and then uh, not only that, he uh, Nagelsmann confirmed in his pre, uh, pre-game, sorry, the post-game press conference after Leverkusen that it's not anything about Sané. It's just that he wanted to play Omar Richards. But then he, Sane could have easily played instead of Gnabry. So why was he benched? Especially since there are no midweek games right now. So he's completely rested. So I think something's up with Sane behind the scenes. And anyway, uh, that, that aside, I would put Maziala on the left wing, Coman on the right wing, uh, Chris Richards, sorry, Omar Richards. I, I'm, uh, my brain is really, <laughs> well, it's really all over the place right a call. Like, Can we borrow yeah. for, for a Salzburg? <laughs> Honestly, at the moment, Chris Richards would be better than Makano. So, <laughs> so anyway, Omar Richards at left back, he was really good against Leverkusen, by the way, one of the few bright spots against Leverkusen. So I would put Omar Richards at left back, uh, Lucas and Sula at center back and Pavard at right back. In fact, Pavard, I'll just say this for people who call me a hater, but Pavard has <laughs> been good lately. He's been good. He has. He has. I'm pretty sure he saved us uh, against Salzburg in the first. Yeah, like, three, off the he line, had like he, he, he's been saving us pretty much at least. He has at least one or two game changing blocks every single game for the last three weeks. Like a, uh, uh, against, uh, yeah, against Leverkusen. A great volley attempt against Leverkusen yeah. too. He oh only yeah, that was uh, Lewandowski had to duck. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Lewandowski ducking is pretty much the extent of what he's doing right now. Against Leverkusen, he had so many chances and he couldn't convert a single one. Uh, it, that's that's just kind of like a bit of what's going on with Lewandowski right now. Is he not scoring because he can't find the spaces? Is the system not good for him? Or is it something else? Is it the contract that is weighing on his mind, you know? Because we have not, you know, contacted him about an extension. So maybe that is starting to throw him off his game. Yeah, that's actually a nice segue. And I was going to ask at the end if you agree with uh, our very own Phil Quinn. He had brought up the standpoint that he genuinely feels like I'm sure some other Bayern fans that once Neuer is back in the lineup, it is going to help uh, our defense be a bit more stable with an absolutely no discredit to Sven Ulreich at all. And I believe you had said uh, a few moments yeah. back that he's been he's been making the saves when he has to and standing standing in where he has to. You can't really look out at any of the performances and say, you know, oh, it's because of him that we dropped points or, you know, conceded a goal that we didn't really need to concede. I think he's been fine, but I do think Neuer provides that stability. Um, And as he's another one of those guys with both Thomas Muller and Lewandowski contract expires next season. And we want to get all three of these guys renewed. Um, So before we we segue into the the contract situation in and uh, some transfer rumors, any, any last word on that? Do you agree uh, with Phil's standpoint there? Do you think Um, we'll see some stability with him back? I think this is getting to the heart of something that most Bayern fans are saying. If only X came back, our Y problem would be solved. It's not that simple. Like everyone has been saying for the last three months, if Alfonso Davies were in the lineup, we would look amazing. Uh, I don't think so. I think there are genuine systemic issues. And now that uh, emergent mentality issues in the team that will not be solved by the injured players coming back into the lineup, not even guys as good as Manuel Neuer and Alfonso Davies. Okay, so it's that is because we already have these amazing players like Lewandowski, Muller, Sane, Coman, Gnabry. These are good. I mean, Kimmich as well. These are amazing, amazing players. All of them are world class. So if they can't perform, then what does what makes you think that these one or two people will be the final piece of the puzzle that makes this entire disjointed mess come together? In my opinion, that's not it. Instead, it's going to be much more painful for Nagelsmann to figure something out. And honestly, the way I see it, I think Nagelsmann is trying to make some changes. He has ditched the back three recently. Like last two games in a row, back four. So, and... I think I think he's had an epiphany on how the back three just doesn't really work with Bayern and maybe he should be using the wings a little bit more. But even so, I think he's under a lot of pressure and he's starting to crack a little. And I hope, like, I hope he doesn't fail because obviously I've always wanted him at Bayern and, I, and he's a Bayern fan like all of us and he is one of the best young coaches out there. He could really create a dynasty here if he does succeed but like current signs they are not promising they do not look good i genuinely think and and one thing i want to ask you tom okay Mm -hmm. uh before we go into our next segment because i'm very much convinced that we're going to lose to salzburg so you tell me if we lose to salzburg what does that mean for the league for Bayern munich and for pretty much everything our standing our stature Nagelsmann, the players, all of that. For starters, regardless of what Nagelsmann has achieved and you know all the good that he has done so far this season, I think if we wind up losing to Salzburg, I think there will be a large portion of the Bayern fan base that will go into complete meltdown mode uh, and it'll get pretty ugly. And I think it would just be a massive, massive stain 
on um, you know his his maiden season at Bayern, and it hasn't been easy with injuries. It hasn't been easy with uh, COVID outbreaks. You know, um, I don't believe Hansi Flick ever really had to deal with as much of an outbreak uh, during the you know second half of his uh, season as our manager or season and a half rather. But I, yeah, I, I don't think you know it's not rocket science. Excuse me, it's not rocket science to uh, you know say ahead of time that if we were to lose to RB Salzburg in the Champions League, it would be a, a massive, massive uh, mishap for for Nagelsmann. And I think the worst part would be obviously we're all Bundesliga fans and Bayern Munich fans, but the worst part would be that the outside view, right? The people who are big football fans but don't necessarily pay much attention to the Bundesliga or Bayern because they dub it a quote unquote Farmers League because Bayern. You know, we're going for our 10th consecutive Bundesliga title. So I think that'll be the worst part. That outside view will creep its way in and be like, oh, who's this guy? He can't even get Bayern past the round of 16 in the Champions League. Like He must be a failure and a fraud. And I think that'll be the most negative thing. But I just I hope to God that doesn't happen. I, I genuinely believe we will have enough uh, at the Allianz Arena. I think we'll, we'll get past RB Salzburg. But yeah, if we don't, it, it won't be good for, for Nagelsmann and all of those things will put so much pressure on our front office um, and executive board. And that's just something that we don't want to happen whatsoever. Yeah. And speaking of the front office, I guess this is how we segue into our next topic, which yes. is the fact that we have been linked with a few players of the media. And I'm not sure if some of it is media noise or some of it is actually real. And out of those players, in my opinion, the most interesting one is Jeremy Frimpong. So we'll, we saw Frimpong in action yesterday against Omar Richards on the right-hand side for Leverkusen. He was really good. He seems like whenever I watch Leverkusen, he seems like a kind of guy. I'm always thinking, why isn't Bayern after him? And he was again good yesterday. And performing against Bayern is pretty much the litmus test for a player, if you <laughs> want him or not. So you tell me, Tom, what do you think of Frimpong? I think he's a very, very bright player and very, very pacey out of the back. I think... It, you know, if he did have a future at Bayern and Nagelsmann is still the manager, this is a guy he could work very, very well in a back three with wing backs or a back four as one of the wide backs. Very, very attacking presence. And, you know, imagine the pace that we would have in the back if we have Davies on one side and Frimpong on the other. You exactly. wouldn't be able to cope with it. There was actually uh, credit to Nicolas Sula for making the challenge. It was might have even been in stoppage time or in and around the 85th or 88th minute, something like that, where he had uh, Frimpong had won a second ball, just taken two touches and just bursted like probably 70, 80 yards up the pitch and just took a slightly heavy touch. And Nicolas Sula was there to quell the danger with a sliding challenge, but just effortlessly, you know, after playing X amount of minutes, you know, uh, like I said, I can't remember if it was the 80th minute or perhaps even in stoppage time, just glided past everybody with ease. Didn't even do anything intricate with the ball, just touched it in front of him, took a little bit of a heavy touch. And I think that kind of encapsulates his game, bar the uh, the heavy touch that led to the Nicolas Zula sliding challenge. But just how easily he can get around people and make things happen. And, you know, I think he's good on both sides of the pitch. I think he normally starts uh, on the right, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, very, very exciting player. I think for Bayern, the issue is there's this, there's this standpoint that you read about where they say Nicolas Sula obviously leaving on a free transfer to Borussia Dortmund. You know, if a player isn't going to generate any income for the club, then we don't want to spend, you know, anything uh, ridiculous on a player to replace him. But there's been reports saying that that's kind of the clause that Bayern's front office is approaching Nicolas Sula's replacement with. But then there's also been changes to that because we're obviously linked with a guy like Frimpong from Leverkusen. And 
we wouldn't get him for free. He would obviously cost a, a relatively substantial fee. Um, yeah, so that's like that's really 20, the issue. Million or so. It's actually exactly. it's around that golden number that a lot of our targets are being mentioned. Like you have Ryan Gravenberch from Ajax, who is also something around 20 to 35 million. And this is one thing that I've noticed, which is a pattern for buying. We get these news in that we are interested in someone and then suddenly the price is 20 to 30 million and i will be honest with you tom you're a premier league fan when you hear 20 to 30 million do you ever think that's too much that is an amazingly huge amount we should never go near that because honestly i think fans of most big clubs they see that and they think wow that's a steal whereas we have been conditioned by our board to look at 20 to 30 million as an incredible huge outlay that should only be made maybe once every four or five years which yeah i don't i think it's a little bit outdated and it's not going to serve us well going into the future yeah and it just has not helped too the fact that we've lost so many important players on free transfers you know working in descending order nicolas sula david alaba jerome boateng javi martinez you know it's like yeah, uh, like all Boateng, of those guys, it's like... You know, Boateng, we had the opportunity to sell him and we said no. Um, with Alaba, we were strung along by him and his agent for ages and ages and ages. For some reason, I don't even know why we let Raiola do that to us. Like, we should have been smarter than that. The thing with Thiago is that Thiago was completely 110% transparent and he even said to Bayern that I'm not going to announce my intent to leave until you can get a proper negotiation going with Liverpool and they pay 30 million. So basically, Thiago did our board's job for them in terms of helping us find and get money for his replacement because he had no obligation to do that. He could have just uh, said, hey, I'm going to extend anytime soon. Don't worry about me. And then went to Liverpool one year later, maybe won the Club World Cup on, along the way, you know, got some more trophies under his belt, gone to Liverpool one year later and netted himself a huge signing bonus. Instead, he didn't do that. He was nice to us and that saved us a lot of money. All the other players, they weren't very nice. Sula and Alaba, they were just looking out for themselves. So they left. And I think the board is showing a little bit too much naivety when approaching these things. And you look at contract extensions again, um, Lewandowski, Muller, um, Neuer, all of this is being left way too late, in my opinion, once again. And even even uh, Gnabry as well. It looks like there's Gnabry, Gnabry, I honestly think he's on his way out. I honestly think so. And if he is, um, maybe getting 60 million for him is a good deal. I don't actually think anyone will pay 60 million unless Arsenal decide, yeah, we want Gnabry back. He was the one that got away. And 60 million for Gnabry right now, I think would be a steal. He's not even playing that well. Yeah, he's he seems to be so hot and cold. And I remember it was Schnitzel uh, a few weeks back that had brought up that, that uh, yeah. he's the first person I really said, you know, or I had really heard say, excuse me, that if we can get a reasonable fee for him, that we should let him go because he's just not producing like he has in the past and like we know he can. And uh, in just to track back to, I think, um, I believe it was Zahavi who was Alaba's agent, who, again, not any better than Mino Raiola. And, you know, it's been pretty well documented that Hassan Salihamidic just does not have the best relationship with Pini Zahavi. And it seems like every time that Bayern Munich has to deal with this guy, it just, you know, it, it's like pulling teeth or it goes south and it just like exactly. doesn't work well for us. But even that, you know, Oliver Kahn, I had written a piece about this yesterday prior to the Leverkusen match kicking off. He was asked about, uh, Lewandowski's contract situation because just to kind of track back it was like uh, Hassan Salihamidzic before our last game was basically uh, at Frankfurt was saying yeah you know we want Lewandowski to stay obviously 
everyone who's in and around Bayern Munich and is involved knows this. Herbert Heiner had said that he wants Lewandowski to finish his career in Munich, which might be uh, a little less realistic if we're being honest. But And then Lewandowski after the game says, oh, this is the first time hearing of it. Again, uh, loose translation. It could have been you know, not exactly what he meant. That caused a lot of stir. Uh, Bayern fans are saying, why the hell have we not started contract negotiation talks with probably our most important player um, when his contract is expiring next summer? Uh, and yesterday, Oliver Kahn is saying, yeah, you know, we're not sweating it. We're right now. We're just focusing on the Bundesliga and the Champions League. And don't worry in the spring, we'll get to this. Um, still concerning. Uh, it could be a little bit of lip service. There could be some uh, roadblocks that are going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. Uh, or they could uh, be trying Lewandowski to sign Holland. Represented. Exactly. I was going to tie in in um, <laughs> that the risk of signing redundant. <laughs> Oliver Kahn also said, yes, I did meet with Mino Raiola. Uh, earlier this week or this past week at the time of recording. Obviously, it's a Sunday. Um, and so there's a lot of speculation because Raiola represents a player who we just mentioned earlier, Gravenberch, and also Dortmund's Erling Haaland. So he's openly admitting that he met with him, but he won't say exactly what was discussed. But, you know, in it, it doesn't... I don't think they just met up to uh, talk about coffee exactly. and beer. If you know and what I'm Haaland was in Munich <laughs> this week on. as well. Haaland was in Munich for treatment as well, so... Interesting about that. Yeah, put so, two and two together. Yeah, so uh, one thing I'll say is that people think, I think 99% of the Bayern Munich fan base has accepted that we're not getting Holland. But but the media must know this, but instead they keep on bringing out these reports that the bosses still want to see if the Holland deal can be done. And I genuinely am of the opinion that there is no smoke without a fire and there is a contingent inside Bayern Munich that is trying to sign Erling Haaland regardless of what the financial cost might be because remember we are actually one of the wealthiest clubs in the world we can afford Haaland it's just um is this a matter of will we rather than can we so we can get Haaland and the fact and that there is also the other thing that uh Mino Raiola he does represent a lot of clients and he represents something inter- yes. someone interesting as well uh he represents Masrawi who is the right back at Ajax he was the guy who benched Serginio Dest when he was there and Serginio Dest was one of our top targets back in the day so Masrawi his contract is expiring and he would be free in the summer and Masrawi he's been linked with Dortmund but if he's been linked with Dortmund then I don't see why Bayern couldn't just you know, swoop in and claim that deal for ourselves. He would be, in my opinion, the best, one of the best replacements for Sula because, again, you made the point that the board is trying to keep the books balanced by saying that if Sula leaves for free, his replacement must be free as well. So Masrawi would be free, but he would let Pavard move to centre-back and we would be back to full strength. And he is that profile of attacking right back that we really need like that Davies of the right flank. So I hope that Masrami is being discussed. Everyone on Bind Twitter and on BFW itself wants him to be considered, but there are no rumblings about that on that note, except for that one meeting with Mino Rayala. So I don't know what's going on there. Well, and in that sense, it could be a good thing too. And right, because while they weren't meeting up to talk about coffee and beer, everybody is automatically assuming and bringing up the top clientele and especially the clientele we've been linked with both in uh, Gravenberg and Holland. But that's not to say that's exactly what they were talking about. So it would almost be the perfect uh, smokescreen, if you will, because uh, yeah. as you mentioned, Raiola represents a 
plethora of clientele. Uh, yeah, just it, imagine not all sign Pogba. <laughs> my God, I yeah. the curious part of me would would want to see that just just to see how people would react. But no, yeah, I just, I just I just I oh just uh, don't God. know. <laughs> but yeah, obviously, I, mean, I, I genuinely have a uh, you know disdain for any player who's worn the red Manchester United kit. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Oh man, we can't. We we can't sign Pogba. It would be just the most, the one of the dumbest things this board has ever done. Anyway, but like signings wise, this board isn't really doesn't really have a great track record so far. I mean, look at look at how Upamecano is starting to flop, and it's starting. People are starting to say that maybe in that defensive pairing at RB Leipzig, Konate was actually the guy who was carrying Upamecano, and. As we all know, Liverpool bought Kanate and he's doing really well, if you tell me. Um, I don't know if that's because Liverpool just have a better coach and they Kanate is just more comfortable playing alongside a leader like Van Dyke, or if it's just um, the inherent quality in both players. But the fact is that it looks like Bayern got it wrong and we have been getting it wrong a lot lately. And I don't remember how uh, we used to get it, whether we used to get it wrong like this in back in the good old days, back when Matthias Sommer was our sporting director and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge was in charge. And, you know, those days back in the Pep era when Bayern were like run like a tight machine and everything was good. And I think too, in this is a pivotal period because between the contract extensions of Neuer, Muller and Lewandowski and replacing Nikola Sula, if it's, there's already mounting pressure on them, and there was before, in particular with Hassan Salihamidzic. I think a lot of people are very, very quick to get on his back. But, you know, can you imagine if any one of these things goes south, it seems like that will just be kind of the nail in the proverbial coffin because, you know, it is absolutely vital that we get all three of these guys renewed. And then if we, even if we do that and we fail to uh, adequately replace Nikola Zula, that would just be, I, I, in my opinion, that would be a big loss because... You know, I, I think he's been one of our best defenders this season and losing him on a free transfer is absolutely terrible. Um, so I think this is a huge, huge pivotal period for our front office. And if they don't deliver, Bayern fans are not going to be happy. Yeah, exactly. That is basically everything we wanted to say today. So, Tom, you want to do the outro? Yeah, thanks for listening. You know, we had a lot to talk about, a lot to digest and, you know, a lot of it <laughs> negative. But we want to uh, be confident ahead of this second leg against RB Salzburg and Again, thanks for listening, guys. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever streaming platform you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, something else, or even just the megaphone player that's in the uh, the posts that we write to accompany these uh, these podcasts. And until next time, which will probably be a post cap of that second leg against RB Salzburg in the Champions League round of 16, off we to Good night.